Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Couch. This is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We're at episode 28 of the show. Um, So I appreciate you guys for listening for this long, seven months. That's a long time. Um, So I hope that you have continued to enjoy the show. Obviously, we will do our best to bring you the best topics in mental health, pop culture, pop psychology, um, and try to make it informational and entertaining along the way. Um, For those of you that have continued to listen and have subscribed, whether through Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, thank you as well. Um, And we get all of your messages on Instagram, on Facebook, um, all of our social media platforms and appreciate you for commenting and liking and engaging um, with us. If you're interested in connecting further, please check out our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com and make sure that you rate us on Apple Podcasts. Um, and like and reshare on SoundCloud um, and also share just on your own social media platform so that other folks who haven't joined the Emerald Couch community can do so. So jumping right into episode 28, um, I think I've mentioned all month long that October, while yes, the start of the last quarter of the year definitely has a number of awareness weeks and days and um, several awareness months affiliated with the month of October. So this week is no different. Um, and we'll be taking a look at um, domestic violence awareness, which it's domestic violence awareness month, um, also referred to as intimate partner violence. Those can be a little bit different. Um, and for the sake, I guess, of, of just using one term for today's show, I'll reference it as domestic violence or DV. Um, and we'll kind of talk through what that looks like. It's often a topic that can be considered a little bit taboo. People are not um, as comfortable talking about it openly. And I think for different reasons, sometimes it's because people have experienced it and it can be very traumatic. But also, um, maybe from a clinical perspective, um, there's a lot of moving parts. And so it can be really difficult to kind of pin that down. And it also depends on maybe what side that clinician might be serving on. So that could be the victim. Um, or that could be the abuser. And so just being able to kind of, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit through providing some information and as always offering some tips, um, whether you're a clinician or just someone wanting to help a friend, um, that will be the goal for this week's episode. So as always, I like to kind of get you guys started with some stats um, just so that you kind of know 
where we are currently as a society with this particular issue and mental health concern. Um, I really like Medical News Today as a great uh, resource for like articles and statistics, and I think I've referenced them before, but um, this week that's where I found um, a good bit of information as well as some other sources that I'll share later. But um, the biggest piece, just to kind of make this make sense for for folks as far as mental health is concerned, um, past research has created or has shown a direct link between mental health issues and domestic violence. Um, Most of those studies uh, primarily looked at depression, uh, but obviously anger, PTSD could also be um, a part of what you might notice as far as mental health concerns within the victim of domestic violence. For more updated studies and analyses, we kind of look at um, a closer, we take a closer look at that and what issues might be a part of it. Obviously, thinking about studies that are much broader and include both men and women um, and sort of the the prevalence and odds of men and women with various kinds of mental health disorders who are also victims of domestic violence. And so just for example, some of the stats that came out of some of the more recent studies say um, compared to women with no mental health disorders, um, they measured within their adult life, obviously, women with depressive disorders were around 2.5 times more likely to have been victims of domestic violence. So that prevalence is estimated to be about at 45.8%. For women with anxiety disorders, this figure was over 3.5 times with a prevalence of about 27.6%. And women with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, the chances of having experienced domestic violence was seven times more, so a prevalence of 61% than women with no mental health problems. So women with other mental health diagnoses, things like OCD, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, just other common mental health issues were also more likely to have experienced domestic violence compared to those women um, who had reported no mental health diagnoses in the past. This looks kind of similar for men as well. So compared with men, there's no, you know, with no mental health diagnoses, men with any type of mental disorder was also more likely to have been a victim of domestic violence, um, except that prevalence estimates, obviously, is much lower for more, lower than women's, um, but definitely still present and something to be noted. So obviously that suggests for us, which is kind of what we know um, for the most part, that It's much less prevalent and common for men to be at the receiving end of repeated severe domestic abuse than women are. But again, we cannot neglect that they are also victims um, as well. So it's not only women who are victims of domestic violence, but there are often men who are as well, just less common. So just to kind of give folks some insight on um, just the cycle of domestic violence, I think a lot of people will judge um, men and women who stay in relationships where they're experiencing intimate partner violence, um, assuming that that person is is weak or not brave or not strong. Um, And oftentimes it is definitely a psychological battle that's taking place for that person um, to determine, you know, how safe they will be if they leave um, and what that can look like. And so, you know, there are other areas we've talked a lot on the show about just thinking about basic needs and wellness, and that too can play a role in whether or not that person is able to leave or wants to leave, what resources might they have available or might they, they might not have available. Um, just being able to really think about that in a different way, I think, um, 
helps. And so I kind of want to talk about this cycle of domestic violence, which maybe can help people sort of understand how there are phases affiliated with the experience that can cause people to think um, that their experience will be different the next go round or that that person is worthy of being forgiven and given another chance. And um, so I kind of want to talk through that with people because I've heard too often many people um, be highly critical of victims of domestic violence when maybe not understanding what it actually feels like to go through that experience. So just to give you some background on um, the cycle of domestic violence in itself. So back in 1979, um, a psychologist by the name of Lenore Walker found that most violent relationships kind of followed this like common cycle, common pattern of, of experiences. And so the entire cycle can happen in a day or it may take weeks or it may take months. Um, it's different for every relationship and not all relationships sort of follow this cycle, but many report that there's sort of a consistent stage um, and very little relief. So there's some, there at some phase or some part of this cycle at some point. So there's three parts to it. The first of which is the tension building phase. So basically this is exactly what it sounds like. Tension kind of builds over common domestic issues, things like money, the kids, jobs, um, and sort of verbal abuse begins there. Just really harsh criticism, harsh language. Um, the victim tries to gain some control of the situation by maybe pleasing the abuser, ignoring maybe some of the negative and harsh comments that might be hurtful, giving in, um, just to kind of avoid the abuse, um, the verbal abuse. And none of these will really stop the violence. Them ignoring it, them trying to, you know, maybe even be the bigger, bigger person, um, it just doesn't. And eventually the tension reaches a boiling point and then the physical abuse begins. So what this looks like is the second stage. So acute battering episode. This is when the tension really peaks. Um, the physical violence kicks up a notch. Um, it's usually triggered by the presence of some sort of external event um, or based on the abuser's just emotional state that day or that particular week, um, but not by the actual victim's behavior. So it's not something that um, may be triggered or like in the earlier stage or phase, um, something that, you know, is external to the couple. Um, this means that the start of the battering episode is kind of unpredictable. And so that obviously takes away much more of the control um, out of the victim's hands. So some experts believe in some cases victims can unconsciously provoke the abuse so that they can release the tension and move into the next phase. Um, personally and professionally, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that, but um, there are you know, experts in the field who believe that in some way, if they can get through sort of that battering phase, they know that the next phase, which is known as the honeymoon phase is coming. And so they kind of give into the process. And I think that's what they're trying to say um, in order to like kind of rush it along or hurry it along as best they can so that they can get to the honeymoon phase, which is the third phase. So the honeymoon phase um, basically is like that abuser feeling ashamed of his or her behavior um, expressing remorse, trying to mim minimize the abuse and can even blame it sometimes on, you know, the partner saying that they provoke them. Um, they may exhibit what then looks like loving and kind behavior with tons of apologies, lots of helpfulness, um, being overly generous and, and genuinely attempt to convince the partner that the abuse won't happen again. Um, while this appears to be loving, um, and, and then a way to strengthen the bond between the, the victim and the abuser, 
um, it will obviously convince that person, that victim, that you know they should they shouldn't leave the relationship, and and that things maybe have indeed you know come around full circle and and will get better. Um, but what we know to be true is that that's typically not the case. However, emotionally, we're human beings, um, and we are you know heavily influenced by the way in which we feel about other people, particularly if. Um, like we talked about earlier, the tension and, and the battering that happened um, isn't something that typically will happen in one day where you see these traits from a person. Um, they can go extremely long stretches of time without having any violent or um, negative verbal uh, remarks towards someone. And um, they kind of you know think that that honeymoon phase is here to stay. And so what typically happens is that the cycle just continues over and over and over and over um, and kind of helps, I think, explain why victims stay in abusive relationships. While the abuse might be super terrible, the promises and the generosity and the honeymoon phase, the loving, you know, sort of um, period that they kind of find themselves in give the victim kind of this false belief and false hope that everything's going to be all right and that it'll just come back together. So those are kind of the three phases that you know, happen. And so that honeymoon phase at some point will end again and head right back in to that tension building phase. And we just keep cycling through and through and through. So the bigger question I think that most people then want to know is how does, you know, the abuser find themselves in that situation where they're, you know, really getting that angry to the point where they would harm someone that they love. And then on the upper other side of it, as a clinician or as a friend trying to help another friend in need or just trying to be more informed, how do we stop it? Um, so Psychology Today put out an article back in 2012 um, that talked specifically about this and really compared these two emotional dynamics that contribute greatly to domestic violence. And one sort of involves kind of the destructive thought process of the whole thing. And then the other is sort of this sense of like feeling whole and responsible, being responsible for happiness based on another person. So that first more destructive thought process is called the critical inner voice. Um, this is what abusers experience both towards themselves and their partner. So this might be things um, that they might tell themselves, you know, like you're not considered a man if you don't know how to control her or um, he's making a fool out of you or she's making a fool out of you. Um, basically pushing them to think that um, they're being criticized by this partner um, who may not be saying any of those things and more than likely isn't saying any of those things, um, but maybe there are actions or like we mentioned during the tension phase, there are certain life circumstances that raise tension, money issues, the children issues on the job um, that really can raise sort of that internal critical inner voice and, and make it much louder um, than a logical one. The other factor is more of like, the harmful illusion of the connection between the couple. Um, it's its called the fantasy bond. And so this dynamic feeds into the sense that another person is truly what can make you whole and happy and, and that they're actually responsible for your happiness. Um, both of these obviously are dangerous because they set up the perfect environment for abuse. So you have the victim who sort of is leaning on this fantasy bond between them and their abuser, um, who at one point, again, was loving, was kind, was generous, um, but may not be that all the time and show um, really what it means to care for them and not put them in any harm. So of course, many people who commit abuse, um, you know, have been abused themselves. 
um, mostly as children or even witness abuse between family members or so parents or anyone else. And so it just becomes this sort of familial cycle as well that often is super difficult to break. Um, what typically happens is you have to sort of think about how do we break this cycle and then reduce the number of domestic violence cases in future generations. And obviously the main way from an advocacy side and from a mental health side is to implement programs that are effective, helping you know violent perpetrators get the knowledge and help that they really need to not create that next generation and really to break that cycle, teach them about what it means to be violent, um, to help them teach that to their children as well. So obviously that's a, a great way. There are tons of rehabilitation programs that emphasize kind of self-reflection, learning self-control, empathy. Um, in a lot of cases, those abusers don't get to that place though until they've you know committed maybe a crime or harmed um, the victim or even killed the victim. And so at that point, it's, it's in some ways too late because more damage more than likely has still been done to that family structure. So a lot of times um, people just lack, you know, proper coping skills with being able to sort of separate maybe those thoughts and feelings that they're having. So again, that critical inner voice um, and separating that from this person that has been loving and supportive and kind towards them. Um, and yet somehow they can't manage to seem to do that towards their partner. So really being able to think about what it can mean during stressful times, what it means during um, connecting with somebody that you maybe love and care about, and really being able to look for signs and traits of control and violence and anger um, towards you just to avoid things turning into something much, much deeper. Um, for my clinicians listening, obviously knowing that we have to be very well equipped um, to help both sides of this situation, more than likely you will have the victim um, be a client, but in some cases you will have to service um, the abuser. And so being able to even know where to start with gaining the proper skills to be able to help, um, I think is, is just critical. We don't always get um, a ton of clinical training initially, right when we're in school, um, taking our initial courses for clinical licensure. And so it's really important that if you plan to work with this population, um, that you do your homework, that you read a lot, that you even get some clinical supervised experience in working with this population, just to gain a better understanding of truly how to help, um, particularly that abuser, implement better coping skills, being able to determine just how to make themselves um a better person in general. And then obviously for the victims, helping them to rebuild them their lives when they do decide to leave, um, particularly when there are children involved and, and really understanding that it takes a little bit of an environmental and a holistic and a familial change to recover from that. It sometimes isn't just that one person um, that we label as the victim when there also may be you know, children involved who are also victims, even if they just witnessed and didn't actually experience physical abuse. So hopefully that is useful information for those of you tuning in, really being able to think about where you, um, you know, just maybe seeing some of these signs and symptoms um, in people that you may know so that you can also offer support. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this and you or a loved one um, is in trouble, make sure that you call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. They offer a ton of great support, help you strategize a plan, um, just a super super useful resource. Um, and that number is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. 
So hopefully that was useful topic. Obviously, again, we're, we're recognizing Domestic Violence Awareness Month as a part of all of our awareness months and days that are a part of the month of October. Um, we have one more week to go, so we'll obviously pick another, another topic and address that as well. But this was something we hadn't talked about before on the Emerald Couch, and I thought this wouldn't, this would be a, the best possible time to bring it up. So hopefully that's useful. Um, and we'll take a little break right there before we come back with our signature segments. Hey, Emerald Couch listeners, we are back with our signature segment in the second half of the show. First up is our pop psych moment of the week. Um, So I want to talk about this topic very briefly um, because it was definitely super relevant within the last week um, or two weeks now at this point. Um, And if you are social media buff, which I am really not, but um, that is kind of how I keep up sometimes with what's going on. Um, you may have seen the hashtag Corner Store Caroline going around. Um, and what has been very interesting um, about this, particularly as we are even thinking about forms of violence um, against others, I did think that in witnessing this hashtag um, and seeing the messages and the videos that have ensued since then, um, has been very interesting for me, particularly thinking about trauma um, and children, which we've talked about here on the show before. Um, So for those that are maybe like me, um, who don't keep up always with the majority of what's going on on social media, um, the hashtag is um, a result of a story that's being followed right now of a woman um, who identifies as a white female. Um, She claimed to be sexually assaulted by a nine-year-old boy who happened to be African-American, whose backpack grazed her back as he was leaving Um, a store. So she was standing at the counter, leaned over the counter, um, and the young boy was leaving with his family out of the store, um, and then which on his way out, his backpack um, grazed her back. And she decided um, to call 911 um, while sort of very boisterously saying this in his face, um, that she was going to call the police on him and that he was going to jail. Well, the young boy and his younger sister immediately burst into tears. The mother tried to talk with and reason with the woman to explain both the situation, but also to ask um, that she really make sure she confirms what she was was saying as far as this story that she um, was calling the police with. So at that time, um, the police, I think, did report to the scene. However, there were tons of onlookers who recorded live video of the incident Um, And then later, the video footage from the store was also released. And it's very clear that in the video, the nine-year-old boy's hands are visible um, as he walks by her, as well as um, the fact that his backpack did, you know, touch her on the back or or, or rubbed against her as he walked out of the store. Um, So again, I I thought this was interesting because if you really do watch all the parts of the video, there's a moment where um, she literally turns to this nine-year-old boy and says you're going to jail and so immediately the boy breaks down um in terror and fear um you know of of what she's telling him but also knowing that he was completely innocent and what I, I think was probably most interesting is that later 
um, she finally is convinced by someone else to watch the video footage from the store where she sees that uh, he did not touch her or, or grope her as she stated um, to the police um, that she comes and sort of issues this apology um, that I think, you know, what has probably social media in an uproar is that it's expected that this young boy who's life has now been altered forever because of the trauma he's experienced is expected to just you know forgive her or that his family is supposed to just forgive her and so um obviously just another example like we've talked about on the show before of the connection between social issues and concerns and its continued influence on mental health um and so whether you know those are systemic issues like racism um but also just thinking about what does this mean and being able to offer the proper support for an experience like that because who thinks they're going to go through an experience like that at nine years old or even as the parent of this young boy how do you you know help someone through that um when someone blatantly has accused you of something that you know you didn't do and then threatens for you to go to jail um and at nine years old so i thought that was very interesting obviously you guys know sometimes i like to drop these things in don't really offer um my personal opinion about it but just to put it out there as food for thought for sure um because i i do think it's interesting and if nothing else has a direct connection and what we talk about often you know of what is sort of that that link between mental health and many of the huge social issues that we're seeing ourselves face on a daily basis so that is this week's pop psych moment of the week so if you haven't seen that yet floating around make sure you look it up um, let us know what you think. Last up is our small talk bookshelf because um, we didn't have any Ask Dr. LP questions. So if you have those, make sure you send them in. Um, but for this week's small talk bookshelf, I realized that back from episode 18, which is now 10 episodes ago, um, I never gave you guys my full review of watching Napoli Ever After. So we talked about this during our episode on love and relationships um, with my friends Jared and Teresia who were on the show um, on the couch that day and the movie hadn't come out yet and so we talked about just the simple ideas around self-love and body appreciation and, and those themes sort of in anticipation of the film and so the film was released um, I believe back in September late September maybe even earlier this month but I think in September um, and really kind of walks us through this the perception and the images of beauty that many women face but more so women of color um, and obviously the movie is centered around hair and being able to sort of embrace all parts of oneself and so I thought it was interesting because often we do get caught up in these ideas around perfectionism and pressure to really change within a relationship. And so again, as we're talking about domestic violence um, for this week's episode, really even thinking about that. And so the, the movie itself, that wasn't the topic, but just making that connection to realize how many victims may find themselves in the midst of really trying to figure out what is going on in the heads of their abuser to the point where they are willing to do almost anything, including changing themselves in order to be able to have that experience of you know being in a loving relationship or what they think is a loving relationship and so 
Um, I hope that if you haven't seen um, the movie that you do take some time to check it out. Let me know what you think. But um, I loved it. It was a great movie. I think being able to just think about that in our own lives, even outside of um, a violent relationship, even in a very good relationship, do you feel that pressure to be um, somebody maybe that you're not or to uphold an image that you were taught through your upbringing? Um, and how do you sort of change and combat that? I think is very, very important. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, Napoli Ever After, Star Sanaa Lathan. Um, check it out. And it is this week's Small Talk Bookshelf once again for the second time. Um, so make sure if you haven't seen it, check it out. Well, that brings us to the end of another show. I hope that if nothing else, this topic has at least helped to raise some awareness and help you think differently about how you are um, experiencing your own relationships, but also for your friends and family around you. How are you assisting them um, in making sure that they have an awareness of what their relationship feels like and what it should feel like and being able to help with that um, in any way possible. So um, my hope is that it is useful. Again, if you or somebody you know um, is experiencing um, that negative relational uh, dynamic, please make sure that you seek support. The Domestic Violence Hotline is a great resource. Um, and we will have the number posted again in the show notes. So if, if anyone needs that support, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, as always, thank you all again for tuning in um, to another episode. Very, very excited to continue on this journey with each one of you. We have one more week in um, the month of October. And so obviously we're going to finish on a high note. Um, I won't have any spoilers, but it'll it'll be a good episode. So I hope that you're tuned in and that you're subscribed. Like always, make sure that you like and you follow us on all our social media platforms. And if you have questions, make sure that you submit your questions for Ask Dr. LP. We're getting closer to the end of the year, which means we'll soon be approaching our season finale. And so of course, if there are questions from any of the topics we've talked about all year long and you wanna be able to ask your questions, now's the time to get it in um, so that I can do that before the season is done. So if you have any questions, head to the website, www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Make sure you go to the Ask Dr. LP tab under the podcast uh, page and submit your questions right there and it may end up on air. Thank you all again for tuning in and I will chat with you all next week on another episode of The Emerald Couch.